You're listening to OEA Grow, a member-led production of the Oregon Education Association. OEA Grow is by members for members. In season four, members discuss back-to-school issues and ideas with Kayla Potter. Hello and welcome. I am Kayla Potter and I am joined today by Desmond Spann. In this episode, we'll be discussing student engagement and motivation. Desmond, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I am um, an ELA teacher at Franklin High School, uh, Portland Public Schools. Um, I've been teaching nine years and, you know, family, you know, got a kid in college, a kid starting kindergarten. Um, make music, uh, podcasts, uh, yeah, done a lot of things, worn a lot of different, uh, hats, um, many trades, um, I would like to say many talents. (laughs) It sounds Um, like you've got a lot going on to keep you busy. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe too much, but I don't think I would. (laughs) have it in any other way. <laughs> Beautiful. Um, so we all want our students to be engaged and motivated to learn when they're in our classrooms. What is your approach to engagement and student motivation? And do you see those as two separate things? So when I think about um, engagement and motivation, I'd usually try to just clear up some misconceptions that they have about motivation which is um, like they always have motivation, meaning like there's a certain level of motivation. Their motivation level could be disinterested and bored. Um, And that means they probably need something to raise that motivation level. Um, And it can be, um, I don't, I don't, right now I don't have like the, there's actually like six (laughs) levels to motivation um, that was, uh, studied, I guess, in research by Susan Fowler. I believe that's, uh, the author, I think, no, the author name that I remember the title of the book, but first thing is like, we're always motivated. It's just what, what's the level of the motivation. Uh, second thing is that motivation is a skill. So learning how to shift your motivation from a place of disinterest and boredom to, um, you know, really to the, uh, the idea is trying to get them to the internal motivation, right? Where they understand, um, what they're doing. They understand, uh, the purpose behind it. It's aligned with who they want to become, um, what they value, what they think is important. Uh, so that's like, kind of that first framework is just kind of teaching them that it's a skill and that, you know, you're, it's, there's never like no motivation. It's just, where is your motivation at this moment? And then how do we begin to alter the conditions uh, within the classroom and within our, um, within ourselves to shift our levels of motivation Um Ideally, to the internal side. Yeah, I think we've talked about um, 
like in teaching, we talk about external motivation and internal motivation. And uh, I think even in the book by um, Susan Fowler, she describes external motivation as like kind of like junk food. You know, like mm-hmm. it tastes good and it'll might give you a little spike, but it's ultimately gonna erode. Um, it's not gonna last. Your sense of motivation. Yeah, yeah. And it requires, you know, when we think about students, like, you know, if they get used to getting something for uh, behaviors that we want to see, eventually, like, they'll get used to that to that reward and then need more. And so it's fine to use that to start, but then we got to find a way to get them to see that whatever it is that we're asking them to do, we also have to have them recognize like how it could be its own reward. Yeah. I love that it motivation isn't a black and white thing. It's there. It's not, it's the spectrum that we all live on at some point and how can we become uh, more intrinsically motivated. Do you have any strategies that you use that help move kiddos or students from a place of extrinsic motivation to being more internal? Yeah, I mean, I think the main strategy is just being really intentional about having students. Um, I mean, I've done it in various ways, like through mission statements. I think this year I'm going to use um, kind of like a vision uh, statement. Um, and I think, but the whole goal here is like, what's important to you? Like what matters to you? And then how do you align what we do in a classroom with what's important to you? And you know, we got to take it deeper than their first answers, right? They're, what's important to me, they might say, oh, I just really love playing video games. Nothing wrong with playing video games. Why? Uh, because, it, you know, I get to hang out with my friends online and we talk, oh, so you value friendship, right? Friendship is important to you and a video game is just a way, a strategy to meet that value, mm-hmm. right? So then, once I know that student values friendship and I'm going to teach something in relationship to like communication, instead of it being like, okay, you're going to get, you know, five points or 10 points or how many points if you complete this assignment and it'll affect your grade. I'll say, hey, you know, remember how you value friendship? Like this thing right here, when we learned this, this will actually help you communicate better with your friends. It's like, all right, so if you really want to be able to, you know, maintain your friendships and, you know, have good conversations. Um, This is what we're learning about today is going to help us with our communication skills. Right. So I'm, I'm, I'm going, I'm explaining and showing how what we do meets and aligns with what they value. Um, Because ultimately I've never met a student that said, I want to be incompetent. I don't want to have any skills. Right. I just want to be dumb. Like I've never met a student that said that. And so believing that everybody has this drive against some level of motivation to succeed for themselves in some way, my 
job and is to really make what really matters to them kind of front and center in the class and then show how what we do aligns with that. And ideally then that increases um, engagement and motivation. There's another piece though, but I'll let you Yeah, I can see how... I can see how that would be really useful. Um, I know people, even within my own family, who didn't see the value in what they were learning in school because they didn't see how it connected to them. But if we're really explicitly showing and teaching them those connections, then they might get more out of their education from you too. Um, I imagine with high school, you have quite a few students coming through your room. How do you keep track of the things that are important to each student? Um. I have them do it. <laughs> I mean, like, Perfect. so when we're doing this values exploration, it's like, okay, we're creating, um, you know, like I said, this year is going to be vision statements. Um, Cause I think that is a little bit, well, yeah, I just, I mean, I think vision statements will work better this year just cause I don't know. I'm going to try it out. Uh, but in creating vision statements, right there, personally creating a vision statement, but as I look at their individual ones, as a class, we'll create one. And so we're having all these conversations with each other about essentially what's important to us. And then that becomes a part of the culture of the classroom where <clears throat> after, you know, this time is done, we'll have a vision statement that, you know, they'll see every day um, that gives them that reminder of like why we're here and what we're here for. Um, and that, you know, the, yeah. And so, and there's another piece I'm, I guess I'll, I'll bring in now just cause I don't want to lose the thought <laughs> to this is like the other half of like motivation and even engagement is like, there's just factors that are just outside of your control as a teacher. Right. So you feel a kid needs to get to class on time, but they keep showing up late. It's like, well, what's happening? Oh, I just keep staying up late. I'm not getting enough sleep, right? So it's hard to get to these higher levels of intrinsic motivation um, if we're not taking care of our bodies, we're not taking care of our health, our mental health, and all those things. And that's like, you know, again, you only have so much control over that uh, as a, a teacher, um, you can provide space for those conversations to be had that might help, you know, students be able to do what they need to do so they can then uh, fully engage when they're there. Um, but ideally, if I do my job in setting the conditions right, um, the reasons for students not being engaged and experiencing, uh, you know, low motivation is not due to factors that are inside the classroom to the best of my ability, right? There's sometimes like, mm-hmm. you know, some things are just uninteresting, you know, but if there's, if I do my job of saying like, well, you know, maybe this particular thing, you know, that we need to do uh, for the state is not <laughs> the most motivating and intrinsically like aligned thing that's that's fine, but then we could still rely on our agreement to like uh, to be engaged and, and to practice that of like okay, well, you know, this is not necessarily my thing, 
However, I'm going to practice at least still doing my best with it. And Mm -hmm. that doing of my best is, um, you know, I guess that phrase of like, how you do one thing is how you do everything. There's there's that, that quote out there. You know, if I can get students to that point, then, um, you know, there's a good chance that even with the things that are aren't uh, the shiny objects, the uh, the easy to um, engage with kind of uh, readings and listenings, um, there's a still a chance that they'll, you know, dig in because they have a greater sense of purpose. Uh, so when you're teaching, do you think that you find that it's obvious to tell when students are engaged and motivated in their learning, or are there more subtle things that you're looking for? And then if you notice uh, someone who is maybe a little disassociated from what you're doing, how do you rope them back in? Um, so is it easy to tell if they're engaged uh, with you know the most vocal students, of course, um, with quiet students, um, it's more nuanced because there's some that are quiet, but then like, you know, you start watching and you see their body language and it's like, okay, they're following along. Uh, you say, all right, now go, you know, get up and talk to a partner and they go and they get up and talk to a partner. So it's like, okay, they're, they're, they're doing the things that's being asked of them. So they're engaged to some level, um, you know the. Uh, um, I was flashing back to virtual school <laughs> for a quick second because um, screens. Yeah, screens and just like so, it's pretty. Um, you know, and I, I think this is just something about you know teenagers. Um, they can be into what's happening in the class and you don't see it on their face. You know, so I'll, I'll, you know, part of how I assess engagement too is through like uh, having them do self-reflections and I'll look at what they, you know, write. And it's like, sometimes it's like, yeah, I really appreciated our conversation today. And it's like, okay, you didn't say anything. <laughs> and it's like, okay, well, I mean, Some I of guess us are just listeners. Yeah. And there's, you know, and I'm, and I'm definitely one of those people. Um, and there's this thing that, oh, actually, yeah, okay, because this is kind of like my new um, focus for this year, too, which is like, I'm taking a couple concepts, exceptional relationships and meaningful connections, um, and kind of combining them together. Um, what I learned recently, uh, and this comes from Atlas of the Heart, Brene Brown, great book, Um she learned about this concept of near enemies. Um, I guess it's a Buddhist concept. And how it works is like, you know, you have these values and then you have near enemies to the values. Um, so these are things that appear to be what, you know, the value actually is, but it can be tricky. So learning and improving is, all, you know, in my view, that's the goal of school. The near enemy to learning and improving is knowing and proving. And why it's a near enemy is because knowing and proving is about appearing right. If you're in an environment where 
it's not safe to take risk, it's not safe to be wrong, then your guard is up and then you tend to only engage when you feel you know or can improve or, or demonstrate. Um, and I think, oh, you know, I guess I'm, I don't want, I don't know how deep I want to dive into this conversation on uh, um, grading, but like if we're really talking about motivation, we have to understand that like with so, um, with the stakes so high on grades, it makes the over motivation uh, external and it's overpowering to students. So again, if knowing improving is how they get that high stakes grade and I'm asking them to learn and improve and risk mistakes, um, I have to create the conditions to where they can take that risk. And it sometimes takes, you know, three quarters of the year to just get to that place where they can feel that sense of safety to take that risk and express themselves. So that's why I see teenagers, right, who will just sit there and, you know, they're following along and they're doing, you know, complying with what I'm asking. And it doesn't seem like it's hitting them or moving them. But then I'll read their reflections and they'll be like, oh, yeah, I really appreciate this and that. And and I think there's just that level of fear that teenagers, you know, are trying to navigate their way through in order to access learning and their level, you know, I think their level of motivation, it's like, oh, I'm just not motivated. Like all those things that they'll say about themselves is to, you know, ease the pain and discomfort of the fear, right? Giving them a reason not to, to try. Um, and so for me to get to that motivation and that student engagement, to get that up, um, there's all these like things that we're doing and talking to each other and talking about um, the emotions as well as the content just to get to that space to where they will take the risk to disclose, you know, what they, you know, might know or disclose their stories or to, to actually emote, to smile, to laugh, right? I think in Atlas of the Heart, Brene Brown writes that joy is actually the most vulnerable emotion. And that makes, when you're looking with teenagers, that makes sense because, you know, there's a, there's not a, there's, there's not a, um, what, what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say it without being like overgeneralization, but I'll just say that it takes a while for the whole class to like crack smiles. You know, so that's kind yeah. of um, like wrapped up in all this, the, the emotional processing of teenagers. <laughs> I've never really thought of it in terms of learn and improve versus no improve, but I can see how that's prevalent even down in the elementary school where I'm at. Um, there are students who don't want to even enter that learning pit because not knowing and not being able to prove it means that they're not smart or they're not capable. And really that's not what it is. They, they were here to learn and improve. Um, but how do we get them to see that in themselves? And it does take a lot of t long time for some of them to really get there. Um, and the hope is that eventually everyone gets there. Right. Huh. I have a couple of books mm. I have to go read now. <laughs> Thank you. But yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, curious, um, 
on the elementary level too, just like, you know, how does one create the conditions to where, um, you know, little ones can take those risks, you know? And I, and it's, it's interesting to think of that there's still, I mean, well, you know, like my, I was just dropping my, my kid's going to start kindergarten and I can still see it. Like, I think there's still, um, like all we can do is create the conditions, but then ultimately the learning journey is up to the, to the student at that point. You know, like nobody can make the student um, take that, you know, when you say, hey, what do you think? You know, no one can make that student speak. We can put, and I mean, it's the same thing with motivation, right? I can set the conditions. I can have students set the conditions with each other, talk to each other, build, do those little interactions that build trust and to let them know that like, hey, whatever risk you take here will be, um, you know, you'll be safe. It's not going to be turned into humiliation or, you know, like embarrassment happens when you make a mistake, that's normal, but no one's going to humiliate you for that. Um, all, all those, you know, fears that are there, um, you know, you can say those things, make the norms, agreements, have people uh, act in a way that creates those conditions, but then there will be a point where you still know all those things and yet you still feel a physical fear when you need to submit something, write something. I mean, I've had students not turn in work because they had, you know, emotional um, uh, fear. Like they were afraid of what I was thinking about what they were going to write even after like having all this time with me and like knowing I'm not going to judge them like that. Right. Like that was that student's own journey. And there's, you know, I can tell them I'm not going to do it. And I did. Right. But ultimately when they got to that point of, okay, I need to see this work. Right. There's all these reasons and excuses that the work wasn't there. And it's not about the excuses. It's about the fact that, Oh, you're still afraid. And so like, I think there is something about a the step through fear, the step through the step through fear into vulnerability, I do believe is like an individual step. Right? And so that is that part. And all we can do is create conditions so at least that st- person is saying, "Hey, well, you know, I know people are supporting me. I know this you know, everything's here. I just got to do it. And then they, like, if I can get them to that point, then, you know, whether they take the step or not, it's still, it's up to them. But I think a lot of times we don't create the conditions for students to get to that point because, you know, there's there's no student who's necessarily um, saying, yeah, you know, I'm just in an unsafe learning environment and I'm feeling like they don't have that language. It's not going to happen. Right. It's yeah. just, it's just behaviors, right? It's just, you know, you're pulling someone's hair or you're, you know, not trying to sit down and listen. Like it's all these manifestations of them trying to get their needs met through their behavior that really reflect what their need and what they feel. And if we stay attuned to 
okay, what do they need and what they feel? And then create the environment to address that. Then we can get more behavior that signifies engagement and motivation. Yeah, I try to teach my students different strategies that they can use when they're feeling like they're in the bottom of that learning pit and don't want to get out of it or try. You know, mm-hmm. we can go take a break. We can ask a friend. We can get a book to look at that might um, have more information that you need in it. Um, thank you. Mm-hmm. So I listened to a little bit of your podcast. Very engaging. I really enjoyed it. Um, and within the one of the first few episodes, I noticed um, the to like the tr- your view of uh, education, your educational philosophy with the traditional school and then the genius awakening. Um, how do you think your educational philosophy impacts your view on engagement and motivation? Um, I think it's, you know, because I guess my, edu- you know, my philosophy is like kind of, you know, my beliefs. Uh, this is this phrase, you teach who you are, right? And who are we without going down the full rabbit hole of that question? Um, simple answer, you know, what we believe to be true about ourselves, right? I think that's, you know, the the, the answer that saves us the, the most time. Um, so when I think about, um, you know, I think what's core in my philosophy is that, you know, that genius awakening is that the genius is already there. It's not my job to put genius into anybody it's to create the conditions so that genius can be like oh i'm here like i get it i can i can i can demonstrate i can show right um i can show up and because i in in other the and i guess the why of my philosophy is that i teach for my students lives through the lens of whatever subject I'm asked to teach them. But it's their life that is going to be the consistent thread throughout their educational experience. And it's like, yeah, I mean, I get, and I, I think, you know, there's, there's, uh, let me see, pros and cons to it maybe uh, in the sense that like, you know, I have my own doubts and insecurities about um, the hard skills, you know, the academics skills that I've uh, am able to expose them to, um, because I'm I focus highly on their internal experience uh, a lot, and the I don't just say, all right, here's this, you know, here's this uh, essay, and this is the skill we're doing, and just like talk craft. Because again, it's like I've I've had it too many times in my just learning to teach and the art of teaching where if I just jump into academics straight up and never really deal with the people and their humanity, then I'm just, you know, those who are with me will stay with me, but everyone who's not with me will, you know, disconnect. And I remember, um, and we talk about motivation at that point, right? We, being low, it's like, well, within, oh yeah. So, so it gets into all this, right? It gets into, okay, so if students, if I'm just going to focus on academics and I'm not dealing with the humanity, students who are into it will 
do, but then the rest that are not um, will disconnect. How do you then get them to reconnect? Well, then that's when you go to those high stakes grades, right? And then since I know that focusing on the high stakes grades is that external junk food motivation, right? A little bit, but it can't be the whole experience. Then I know that I'm actually doing harm because now their motivation skills only be based on like, okay, what do I get? How do I do the least to get that? So I, you know, so I, I do sacrifice like maybe some of the, um, almost it's all of it's rigorous, you know, I won't say that, but I do sacrifice some of the, the amount of skills that I might want to get to in a class because I would rather get to less with internal intrinsic motivation and high student engagement than to do more with um, with less students involved because they're uh, disconnected and, and just doing the bare minimum. I'm, it's so amazing how like many students out here say like, it's like we put all this work into creating assignments to making it an engaging learning experience. And then students say, okay, they'll start asking questions, trying to figure out what's the bare minimum I need to do to get the grade I want. And that is not a recipe for um, motivation. It could be a recipe for engagement, right? Because it's, it's still external motivation is still, you know, if you're getting the behaviors you want, you can still get that. But I, I think it, because motivation is a skill, um, I don't think it teaches students how to have that conversation with themselves to say, okay, well, how do I align what I'm doing with what I value to be able to, you know, go from disinterested to like, okay, I can, I can do this. And if they're learning from a place of motivation, they're more likely to hold on to the lessons that you're trying to give them also, um, rather than I'm just going to learn this for this test. And then as soon as we're done with this unit, I'm just going to forget it all. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank that, you. <laughs> that thing right there. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, so do you um, see a connection then between equity and student motivation? Uh, yeah. Um hundred percent because, you know, in, in my definition of equity, it's, you know, meeting everybody's needs and everybody needs to have the skill and motivation, right? And that, because it's an, in, in a, and it's a internalized skill, right? You can see, you know, the result, right? Like somebody, two students can turn in the assignment get the exact same grade. One did it for the grade. The other did it because they wanted to do the assignment. It's the same result. It's the same thing we're tracking. But the difference between the first student who did it for just a grade and the student who did it internally is that what we just said is like they found that thing for them that makes them like uh, want to do it. And then they can keep that, right? And so... If you are really trying to awaken that in all of your students, I think you start to get, um, it's definitely, it definitely moves us towards more equitable outcomes. And, and, you know, like, 
there's all we can do is attempt to create the conditions. Conditions always change. It's like the weather, right? Like, and I, I think, and, and especially when thinking about the conversations of equity, I think our ability and capacity as educators to hold emotional space for students to do internal work affects their motivation and thus affects if you're getting equitable outcomes in your classroom. So I think, yeah, like when a student starts, you know, in, in all forms acting out in some way, like if they're like, oh, they're not sitting down. Oh my God. Okay. Well, what are they being a danger to anybody? No, they're just being distracting. Okay. All right. So they're just being distracting. Then I might be able to hold and try to see if I can figure out what the need is before I just like, ah, on them. Yeah. And I mean, some students just need to right. move also. I've had a second grader who was completely engaged in our lesson, rolling around in the back of the classroom in a place that wasn't disruptive to others, but they were getting the um, physical stimulation that they needed with that sensory of the rolling, but they were still able to follow along with what we're doing in class. So sometimes student behaviors that seem like they're just doing it to be disruptive is really them just telling you that they have a need that is not being met right yeah. now. Yeah, and I think, you know, once you, and, and this is where like the equity part comes into is because we have to continuously grow. I mean, that's kind of what the podcast is about, worth work, which is like, you know, the idea of doing worth work and worth work practices is about the work we do to continuously expand our capacity in order to uh, reach you know, equitable outcomes in the classroom. Um, and really, I guess I said it in a different way. It's like, it's the work that we do to become better people because if we become better people, when we start teaching who we are, then we're going to get better students, right? Um, and so the ability to be able to take a pause when you see a behavior that's outside of the norm and discern whether like, if it's, an immediate threat to anybody's safety, or is it just kind of a, a threat to our sense of like what we expect the classroom to be? And then if it's just well, what we expect the classroom to be, but no one's necessarily getting harmed, um, being able to say, all right, well, is it because I actually have a need that's not being met by this behavior, right? And then being able to approach it from that kind of place versus a place of like, I'm the person with power to thus say, do stop that, do this. Right. Um, so, you know, I mean that, you know, and again, if we're talking about power, right, external motivation, there's always somebody outside of the student that has the power to, you know, create action. And that student, if they never develop the skill of motivation to get to the internal and the, and the intrinsic, um, they oh they're looking for the the power and the status in the room to to see what they can get to be to be motivated right to shift their motivation but if we get to the intrinsic then they own that right and so they're less swayed by you know it's like okay I'll get you know like a reward in something you really don't care about versus like a reward you know getting nothing but 
this is what you actually think is important. Like, you know, like it, it, there's just a whole lot of uh, connections that, um, you know, I have this tendency to just like, to me, everything kind of connects. And so there's a lot of like micro, micro moments that reflect the macro and in between. But I just think of like, as we teach students to be motivated and the skill of motivation rather, um, then we're giving them the ability to recognize again, their own genius, their own power, and they will make better choices that are in line with their life and what they want. And I think that creates, you know, better societies and better cultures instead of us always thinking like, I want to do this because then I can get this money. I can get this status. And then why, why that? And then you, and then you keep asking why. And it's like, I don't know. I think I just, because that's what you're supposed to do. Right. And I think that's mm-hmm. where um, it becomes scary because who's, who's telling you that it, you're supposed to do it. <laughs> who's creating right. that. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing all that. I'm hoping that um, all these things that you've referenced will be able to be put into our show notes, including your podcast. Um, is there anything else you'd like to share with the listeners before we go? Um, um, I mean, definitely, you know, listen to our podcast. I think it's um, folks seem to be digging it. And I think it it's, can help. Um, I think it can really help folks start to make the connection between their personal growth and and how it shows up in the classroom. And I hope it encourages people to pursue that personal growth to, you know, become better listeners, to become more empathetic, more understanding, uh, to to seek that out, to practice those things, to, you know, we don't there's so many strategies, there's so many, you know, best practices, and yet we still have inequitable outcomes. So maybe it's not about a new strategy, a new practice. Maybe it's just about understanding that until we change and transform and build the capacity for equity, um, we'll continue to get the same outcomes. So that's, I guess that's what I would leave folks with is you teach who you are, and if you become a better person, your students will become better people. I love that. Well, thank you so much for meeting with me today and sharing your perspective, Desmond. Until next time, OEA. Goodbye. For more OEA professional learning opportunities, visit our webpage at grow.oregoned.org.